Good morning and welcome again to Words of Hope. I'm Mark Yoder and grateful again today for the opportunity to share a few minutes with you. I've stated that my goal in the things that I share is to present the claims of Jesus, to have you think seriously what it would mean for you as a person to respond to the claim of Jesus upon your life. I want to do that in a kind and gentle way, as well as sharing stories and things that hopefully would make this not seem like a strange and weird commitment that you would make, but a commitment to life, a commitment to fulfillment and happiness. Jesus has made it clear. He says, what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And I've talked to so many people who have lived a life that has been kind of selfish and self-centered and fallen into habits and addictions and things. And it's um, not the fulfilling life that they want just to live for themselves. And I do believe with all of my heart that the more you understand not just the claims of Jesus upon your life, but the reward of serving him and living for him, the more each and every one of us would want to serve him. I've often said to my children over the years, the will of God for your life is exactly what you would choose if you could see the end from the beginning. As I've been thinking and preparing for today, I will admit I've had some pretty mixed feelings and emotions and questions about where this talk should go. I just got back from a trip to India, and I'm never there without coming back to some uh, upheaval in my schedule, sleeping when I shouldn't, being awake when I should be sleeping, with many, many different things on my mind. Part of that is just the things you see. Sometimes when you read in the news and see from a distance suffering and hardship, it's kind of easy to be, to distance yourself from it. But when you walk among it and talk with people, it's a little more difficult to just get it out of your heart and out of your emotions. On this particular trip to India, I spent for the first time, time in Mumbai. Our church is Uh, sponsoring 20 pastors there that are doing ministry in the slums of Mumbai. And so um, we walked through some pretty deplorable situations as we went to this place where we met. And even as I walked, I was just aware of how much the grace of God is needed. It was interesting that we set up to do this pastor's conference right by a mosque. And Again, the contrast, just the sounds, was a, whatever, the, I guess they say it's a call to prayer, but it's such a mournful, heavy sound. And actually took me back to a few years ago, I was corresponding with a young man that I met from Saudi Arabia, and he would send me YouTubes of videos from a mosque there. It was an amazing building and... Um, there was something kind of intriguing about how so many people were gathered together wearing, looked like some kind of robe they may have been given. They were all in the same posture with their face to the ground. And and then they would have these chanting songs and the imam or whatever he's called would do his preaching. And even the translation of what he was saying was dark, you know, full of curses and harshness for the most part. And I remember as I... Uh, went back to my church after watching some of those videos 
and listen to the praise and worship and hymns of our church, I thought, you know, just listening to the music of these two religions would give you a sense of which one is the true and right one. And I'm not saying that again today to be critical of the people. There are many, many precious Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists, but the results of the religion and the effect, you know, I say this again with some care, and that is the more radical a person is in following the Quran and Muhammad and Allah, the more they tend towards violence and um, demanding of a certain uh, way of life. The more a person follows Jesus, the more they learn to love their enemies and bless those that curse them and do good to those that hate them, and the more they reach out to the poor and the needy. And while many people criticize Christianity and some things that have been done in the name of Christianity, if a person follows Jesus, what a change he makes. Even as we were there sharing with the pastors, I was uh, teaching them, I was doing the teaching from the book of Ephesians and reminding them how they've been raised up and seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, how God has um, forgiven them and, and, and there's no condemnation. They are now united spiritually with the Lord, but then they should walk worthy of that calling and was going over some of those things that include putting away anger and um, dishonesty and immorality and not letting the sun go down on your wrath, etc., and pointing out to them the need to love their wives and be kind and considerate to them. In fact, one of the things I often teach in these situations is that if they, there's no need to really pray and ask the Lord for something if they're not going to be kind to their their wives, because the Lord basically says, "I'm not going to listen if you." Um, you can cry all you want to, but if you're unkind, I'm not going to pay attention. It was kind of interesting at the end of that, one of the leaders there just said, you know, Mark, abuse of women is such a part of our culture that that was really needed. You needed to share that with our pastors because they're tempted to be part of that culture. And I said, <laughs> you know, if a pastor beats his wife, he shouldn't be a pastor. He shouldn't be supported. So Again, we call people to very practical kinds of changes. When people follow Jesus, it makes such a huge, huge difference. I want to come back here in a minute and just share how this story, the story I've already told, really affected a, a village where we spoke in India. I know a place where we can go to lay the troubles down Where do- 
things that always amazes me about India is the beauty of the country and of the people and they dress very colorfully there's so much to love um, my picture of India before I went first 19 years ago was kind of a desert and famine and starvation but where we go for the most part is up in the mountains along the east coast of India up in the state of Odisha sometimes into Andhra Pradesh it is a beautiful country. The mountains, the, the valleys, the rice paddies. Um, this particular village where we were speaking on the last day of our visit there, we were, as we were coming into the village, I was just so conscious of the beauty. You could see an inlet from the Indian Ocean where the village was right beside this inlet. Uh, fishing would be part of their um, vocation there. But as we walked to the place where we were meeting, there was again just a reminder of, of poverty and oppression and people with discouraging lifestyles. We came into the church there where probably 150 people met. It wasn't a church, really. It was some old factory building that they used the end of it there for church. And I just sensed as we walked in there a heaviness, a heaviness of heart, um, you could see some sickness. You could see a number of children that had disabilities. There was a man that uh, was struggling with, they said, after, I found out later that he's been 10, 10 years that he hasn't been able to speak. And again, it's quite a story. But as they were coming to prayer, I noticed there were a lot of tears in their prayers. And it just felt like, God, give me a message to lighten their spirits and bring some joy to this place. And I need to tell you, I've shared this story already here, but I just want to share it 
with you thinking of it being brought in the context of this village. But first, let me just tell you another story. Um, some time ago, I was talking with a gentleman who had spent many, many years in the church, um, service for the church, um, believing in the message of Christianity. And somewhere along the line, he said he came to a place where he realized he no longer believed. And to be a man of integrity, he had to admit that and got out of the church and the commitments that he had there. And I asked him, I said, is there ever a time when you miss Jesus? Is there never a time when you wish again to have that sense of God's forgiveness and grace and assurance of eternal life? Doesn't that bother you some days? And he thought a little bit, and he said, no, Mark, not really. He said, my life's been good. I um, have traveled, I've been educated, I've had a good marriage. There's just a lot to enjoy and appreciate, and if if this is it, then I'm satisfied with it. And I said to him, you know, I guess that's fine for you. It sure wouldn't be for me, but um, what would you tell some person on the backside of India who've lived nothing but a hard, harsh life, kept under the dominance of a caste system with very little hope all their life, and now they're near death, and they ask you for a message of hope, what would you tell them? And he said, well... He thought a bit. He said, I would tell them to try to enjoy the relationships that they're in the best they can and remember the good times. And then he paused a bit and he said, but your message is better, Mark. And, you know, that's really, truly what I thought about there in that um, place as we met, that I am so glad that in this place of sorrow, uh, the pastor told us that the Hindus there had poisoned his daughter, and she died. And they're continuing to to press into the in this place for grace to love the people and to share this amazing message of Jesus. I mean, just another thing they're facing is that if anyone dies there that are Christian in that area, they can't be buried in any of the cemeteries. They have to take them to another area far away, and that's been hard too. So I was so glad to be able to share this message with them that day, and. I began and said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made it all good. His crowning creation was man who was made in his image. He put him in a garden, a beautiful garden with much fruit, and said, you can eat of every tree in this garden but one. You must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Most of us know this story, how that Satan came to Adam and Eve in the form of a serpent and began to question what God had told him. He said, you'll not surely die, but you will be like God. You'll know good from evil. And the Bible says that when they saw that the fruit was good to look at, good to eat, good to make them wise, they took it. Immediately, they were filled with shame. They saw that they were naked. We believe perhaps they had a covering of light before that. We're not sure exactly, but in any case, they were filled with shame And, by the way, the pronouncement of death began immediately. Since that day, mortality rate for the human race is 100%. But much more tragic was the spiritual death and the shame and the separation of relationship. 
God came into that garden that day and he said what I believe he says to every one of you today, where are you? Because God is always in the business of restoring relationship. Adam answered, we're ashamed because we're naked. We're hiding in the bushes. And God asked another interesting question. He said, who told you you're naked? I believe God wanted Adam and Eve to realize they were listening to the wrong voice. Satan will always tell you what your sin is insignificant before it's done, but then it's hopeless afterwards. And there are many people that live in that constant realm of shame before God. God came into that situation. He dealt with the sin, pronounced the judgments. But at the end of that, he provided clothing for Adam and Eve. Many times I ask people, do you know what God used to clothe Adam and Eve? And for some reason, most people know that Adam and Eve used fig leaves to cover their nakedness, but not that many people know that God used animal skins. I've come to the conclusion that the message of the animal skins is so close to the gospel that Satan somehow keeps people from understanding that. But the story of sacrifice, obviously, if there were animal skins, there was the death of an animal. And we see that again and again throughout the Old Testament, that there was a death of an animal for sin. As I was telling this story, I would recognize nodding of heads and attentive listening. And then I shared the story of Abraham and Isaac, how um, Isaac's mother, Sarah, was barren all her life and then became, she was 90 years old when God supernaturally allowed her to have a son, Isaac. This is a type of Jesus. Who, um, when Mary was uh, conceived, uh, Jesus of the Holy Spirit, a supernatural act, a one-time-in-history event when God became flesh. In this story, the day came when God said to Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac and offer him as a sacrifice. And he took, we believe possibly, took Abraham to the exact spot where Jesus was crucified. As they're getting close to this place, Isaac looks the situation over and he's not so happy with it. He says, Father, we have wood and we have fire, but where is the lamb? And Abraham responded in what I believe to be one of the most interesting phrases and words in scripture, he says, God will provide himself a lamb. And he meant two things. He was saying to Isaac, when we get there to the place, it won't be you. There'll be a substitute. And if you know the story, there was a ram caught in a thicket that was offered in place of Isaac. But Abraham said much more than that. He said, God will provide himself as a lamb. And I tell people over and over that is our message, that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. When he was introduced to the world, he was introduced by the angels to the shepherds when they said, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you, they said. You'll find that baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Scholars believe that possibly that manger was a place kept by Levitical shepherds where each year they would set aside a lamb for the Passover. And sometimes they would, in giving special care to that lamb, they would actually wrap that lamb in swaddling clothes and 
giving it special attention and protection. And I've often wondered these last few years if when the shepherds arrived at that stable, if they made any connection to that Passover lamb. But in any case, when John the Baptist, under the revelation of the Father, saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus in the form of a dove at the baptism, he says to his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. As I shared this message there in that little village, it was fun to see the nods and the smiles and the hallelujahs and the amens as they were again grasping. What a wonderful story that Jesus takes away our sin. I shared, went on to share with them that there are books that are kept. The Bible speaks of several books, some uh, a book of remembrance for those that fear the Lord. I believe there's a place where all of our deeds are written down, the good and the bad. The Bible speaks of a day when there's going to be a judgment and the books will be opened and everyone will stand before the Lord to give an account of everything they've done. However, there is another book, the most important book. It's called The Lamb's Book of Life. And I said to these precious people there, if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, then everything negative, all your sins and all your shortcomings are erased from the other book. And God remembers your sin no more. The, your sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. You know, that's an interesting phrase in itself. You can never, east and west never meet. If you go north far enough, you'll start going south. If you go south far enough, you'll start going north. So north and south meet, but east and west never meet, and our sins will never meet up with again. And again, I love the expressions on the faces of the people as they took that in and took delight. You know, it's the same message for any of you today. It's the same message for me. There is nothing so good as the news of Jesus and his forgiveness and his grace. It always troubles me that people, in thinking about what it means to follow the Lord, get this feeling that it's strange, it's bizarre, it's you got you got to be a weirdo. People think you're crazy. Um, maybe you'll even have to dress strange and look strange and whatever else. But I declare to you today, following Jesus is so delightful. It brings you so much peace. It brings you so much hope. It restores relationships. It gives you grace for life and for the things that are needed. And so if you today are hearing this and you are in any kind of fear or doubt, let me just tell you again today that the message of Jesus is what brings hope to the world. Millions of people all over this world are finding incredible hope and meaning and purpose in life as they come to Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I want to come back with some final thoughts in a minute. Again, that you make all things new. 
a while here today about the contrast that we saw there in India between that which is of Jesus and that which is of the Hindu and animist background. I uh, One of the places where this is seen most is if in the House of Hope, an orphanage there in Kalinga. It's in the Pubani district of the state of Odisha. They have just done an amazing work. Um, just recently, the authorities brought them another 25 children. So there's 150 orphans in this place. And what a great job they're doing. What an evidence that Jesus changes lives. And these children are so full of happiness and delight. I often, when I'm there, I often wish I could take every skeptic with me, every doubter, and say, hey, look, look at what the amazing grace of Jesus does. And one, and one of the young men that was at our pastor's conference 
and he was just so full of smiles and the joy of the Lord. And one of the things I love to do is um, take one of my interpreters from time to time, have them um, just sit down with me and uh, one of the pastors or one of the young men. And so I took a little time to talk to this guy and asked about his story. And he told me, he said, my mother was a Christian. She married a Hindu leader and he has forced which was his father and he forced her to give up her christianity to make sacrifices to the gods of of the hindus but he said i became a christian and i said how did that happen and he got a big smile on his face and he said god chose me and i don't know why that theme has kind of been with me i'd like to share with you today that god is choosing you wherever you are whoever you are his eye is on you and he wants you. I'm going to close with the words from Micah. If you read in chapter 6 of Micah, you'll see that there is a contention. The Lord is saying to the people that uh, almost, why have you abandoned me? Why have you given up on me? Look what I've done for you, bringing you out of Egypt, providing you with things. And Micah, the prophet begins to say, what can we do? Can we bring a, a, a ram, a thousand rams? What if I bring to you the my son or the, the fruit of my body to make as a sacrifice? But the Lord comes back and he says this, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. That is not really the message of the gospel of Jesus, but it is a reminder that you began by making choices to do the right thing. And I believe when you make up your mind to do the right thing, you'll have incredible insight and knowledge from God what the right thing is to do. And the second is to love mercy, to choose to be kind and gracious to people in all situations. And then the third is to walk humbly with your God. So many people are in judgment of God, in judgment of the Scriptures. They, they contend with Him. And I can't tell you how foolish that seems to me. The Bible says that God's attributes are seen by the things that He made. And just stop and pause for a minute about this great universe I read not long ago. It's 50 billion light years. It's a light year is 5.7 trillion miles. You can circle the Earth eight times in one second, traveling at the speed of light took me 13 to 15 hours to fly fast halfway around the world. All I'm saying by that is our God is an awesome God, much too big for us to question. And I invite you today to come humbly before Him and seek Him. And I believe you'll be amazed at where He'll lead you. Thank you for listening again today to Words of Hope. We'll see you next week.